Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Lights Out. Today we have a very, very intriguing case for you. It is the disappearance of Maya Miliette. And this case is still ongoing. She's been my best friend since we were 15. You know, we just get along, um, you know, over 20 years together. So, you know, I, I love her and I love her still. A missing body is circumstantial evidence that there was foul play. She said, if something happens to me, it's gonna be Larry. Why did you turn to sorcery? Somebody who takes their own life cannot hide their own body. They already think, undermine, or convinced that I had something to do with uh, Maya's disappearance. And if something happens to me, it would be Larry. Light out, everybody. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Lights Out. I'm your host, Josh. I'm joined in the studio by the boys. We've got Austin. What up, man? What's up? And Daniel. How's it going, man? How's it going, everybody? Today, we have a very, very intriguing case for you. It is the disappearance of Maya Miliette. And this case is still ongoing, which is a little bit different for us here at Lights Out. We don't usually cover cases that are ongoing and still in the process of being resolved. But I felt like this case was very important to get the word out on because I feel that this case is very, very solvable. Her disappearance is very suspicious, to say the least. And the one whom we all think is responsible is behind bars right now, awaiting his trial. But the issue here is there is no physical evidence linking him directly to her disappearance. Maya's been missing since January 2021, and I don't know how close they are to to finding her or her body at this point, it seems, but it is still ongoing. And this case has some very weird, bizarre twists and turns to it, uh, including rituals, um, which is just very, very bizarre. Yeah, I... And I don't want to say they're damning, but they are, it's, it makes everything look way more suspicious. It really does. And I mean, it's not every day you hear about somebody going out and trying to find a spell caster to put a hex on someone. Yeah, no, I don't think, have we even ever come across a, a hex case like this where it's some, a spouse? Yeah, I don't know. I this don't think be, so. This, this might, might be, be the first. first one. Yeah, so we got two firsts here. Uh, an ongoing case, which I, I can't even remember if we've ever covered one, and a, a hex case as well on a spouse. But what you'll see is there's quite a bit of circumstantial evidence in this case that I feel will be strong enough to hopefully get a conviction on Maya's husband, who has been accused of murdering her at this point. But again, we still don't know for sure if she is dead at this point or if she is out there somewhere. But that is what the investigators are trying to figure out as of right now. 
But before we get into the case, I did want to just mention that our documentary here at Malhar Media, 530 Days, is now out. You can view it at the Kendall Ray YouTube channel. We'll also put a link below for you if you want to go check it out. Really, really happy with how it all turned out. You guys got to see it uh, for the first time. Yeah, a little preview screening. I thought it was great. I was very impressed. I I'm impressed with how it turned out. I mean, I'm also jealous because I my first passion was film. And then I went to writing instead. And so watching that and watching you guys create this, I was like, so cool. Well, maybe we'll, uh, we'll get a little lights out film going. Hopefully fingers crossed. Yeah. yeah. I want to, I want to sit down and start brainstorming some ideas for, you know, probably not a full length documentary type sure. of deal, but something short film. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether it's just us recreating Blair, Witch, you know, Blair, Witch five or four, whatever it is at this point, or we go out, and have our own adventure, whether it's paranormal or other. Um, I think that'd be really fun. The yeah, on-location episode would be sweet. Yeah, or just go out and sit around a campfire somewhere yeah. and tell ghost stories or something. But yeah, let us know if that would be uh, if you'd be interested in watching that. Because I never know. Sometimes I'm like, people like the routine. They like to see, you know, what they're used to. Yeah. And so there's always the fear of like, oh, if we like step outside of our norm. And we go and spend all this time to go and film something on location or at a spooky, spooky spot that you guys are going to be be into it. But yeah. it's like uh, it's kind of like stick to the hits, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't go off script. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't try to try to fix what's not broken. Right. right. So, yeah, let us know your thoughts on that. But we are very excited with the documentary. We hope uh, you'll you'll enjoy it and, and also fire you up. I mean, it's it's a very very sad case and one that desperately needs justice it's the unsolved murder of jessica easterly if you're familiar with that case it is uh basically her family her sisters found her body when police could not and it's just a total failure of justice the criminal justice system down in new orleans is just an absolute dumpster fire i mean it is shocking just how bad it really is so we really tried to to paint that full picture in the documentary, and I think uh, hopefully it'll leave you as angry as it, as we felt leaving New Orleans because it is just it's a travesty that people have to live in with a system like that in place that's supposed to protect and serve, and that's not what they're doing down there. Yeah, it's so. super frustrating and depressing. Yeah, it really is. And this case isn't much different as far as depressing and sad but it's a very important case that needs justice uh for maya's family so with that being said let, let's talk a little bit about maya and her background and where we're at today so maya tabalanza was born may 1st 1981 in the philippines and her family called her may but for the sake of this episode we're just going to stick to her 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 full legal name, Maya, and she moved to Hawaii with her parents and five siblings when she was 13 years old, and they lived in Honolulu. Her sister, Mary Chris Drule, described Maya as, quote, the smart one, and she was always active at school. So Maya went to Admiral Arthur W. Radford High School, and while she was in high school, she worked at a fast food restaurant where she actually met her future husband, Larry Miliette. Larry was also originally from the Philippines, but then he lived in San Diego. 
He had moved with his family from San Diego to Hawaii after he was arrested for gang-related assault charges in 1997. When Larry turned 18, he decided to join the Navy, and they got married. And Larry later served in the U.S. Navy for five years. Meanwhile, Maya went to the University of Hawaii at Manoa, where she got her degree, and she later became a civilian employee for the U.S. Navy. The couple later moved to Southern California and built their careers together. Larry later became an optician at the Naval Medical Center, and Maya found work as a contract specialist for the Naval Information Warfare Center. Her colleagues described her as a strong and confident leader, and all the women in the office looked up to her. Those who knew Maya said she was witty, accomplished, a caring mother, and a great musician. She also loved martial arts, the outdoors, and off-roading. And just to give you a little bit more insight on who Maya is, we're actually going to play you just a short little clip of her playing the guitar and singing. She was definitely a very talented musician, as you'll see in this clip. So at home, Maya and Larry had two daughters and one son, and we're not going to mention their names for privacy reasons because there's currently a custody uh, battle going on here, so we're going to leave those out. But throughout the couple's marriage, Maya's family considered Larry and Maya incredible parents. In 2013, her family moved into a home in Chula Vista, California on Paseo Los Gatos. By 2021, she was 39 years old and in the middle of planning a ski trip to Big Bear Lake for her daughter's upcoming birthday when she suddenly stopped all contact with her family members on January 7th, 2021. Maya was last seen at the Chula Vista house just before 5 p.m. that day. She had just come back from a Chula Vista car wash. And there's actually surveillance footage. I mean, they live in the neighborhood. Everybody's got cameras now. So her vehicle is seen on that surveillance footage. Obviously, the family became concerned, and the next day, her brother, JR, came to check on her. When he got in the house, he saw the place was a mess. There were boxes and junk everywhere, and he felt that something was just off. But Larry then told him Maya had locked herself in a room that day and wouldn't come out. JR knocked on the door that she was supposedly in and didn't get a response. He figured she was maybe sleeping and ended up believing Larry's story, so he left. The following day, still no one had heard from Maya, So her sister Mary Chris and her husband Richard went over to the house. The house was still a mess and they noticed Larry was running the AC in the middle of January, which was odd. When they asked where Maya was, Larry said she was out hiking, but they became suspicious. So Mary Chris then immediately filed a missing persons report with the Chula Vista Police Department. Three officers were sent to the house and they questioned Larry and other family members. But according to Mary Chris, the officers seemed unconcerned. By January 10th, Maya had been missing for three days, and the family went over to the house to celebrate her daughter's birthday. They all hoped that this would be the day that Maya returned. As the hours passed, they waited for her to come through the front door as a surprise, but she never did. Her daughter, as you can imagine, was devastated, along with the rest of Maya's family. Everyone except for Larry. Richard had observed him being laid back, wearing sweats and no shoes, and he was completely calm the entire party. Maya's family soon started a search party in the neighborhood handing out flyers, but they noticed that Larry had no interest in helping out. So major red flags going off here. I think the family is already definitely feeling suspicious about Larry and 
it's just unlike Maya to just leave like that. Yeah, especially with children involved. She was known to be a very attentive mother, so it wouldn't even make sense. No, why would she leave before her daughter's birthday and no. not be there? The, the birthday she was planning, too. Yeah, so. makes no sense. So the family, especially Maya's sister, quickly became frustrated because to them, police seemed like they were pretty unconcerned with the disappearance and they wouldn't tell the family much about what they had discovered, if anything. They were kind of kept in the dark. Police claimed that they were treating it still as a missing persons case as the days went on, not a murder case, since they technically found no indication of foul play and they thought the best strategy was to keep the evidence, quote, close to the chest. So the family ended up going a bit outside the police department and they contacted Billy Little, an attorney and a former criminal defense investigator for the U.S. Navy, who was also a private investigator. Which honestly is very smart because I think if there's anything I've learned from missing persons cases and working with family is that you are your own best advocate slash investigator. For so sure. if like this ever happens to you or somebody that you know in your life, like obviously contact the police and get them started but ultimately it really does fall on you to do your own investigation and assist in any way that you can because it's just so many times that the police just miss miss things or just in their minds they're like oh she's a adult woman she's allowed to leave and they're not really they're not privy to the information that the family has and they obviously don't always take it seriously when the family's like this is uncharacteristic for her to just up and leave like this and police are like well what do you want us to do so i think it was a very very smart move for them to reach out uh to this private investigator and get him going on it especially in domestic cases i know yeah private investigators that's where they thrive you know catching people cheating yep, etc et absolutely so billy little his wife lou had worked at the naval base along with maya and he stepped in to investigate just days after she had gone missing on January 11th, Billy headed the house for the first time. So this makes it, I believe, four days after she had gone missing. Billy showed Larry his naval civilian ID and he let him inside. The first thing Billy noticed was that all the windows were open. So which was kind of similar to why was he running the AC in the middle of January, right? So to Billy, it was obvious that Larry was trying to air the house out. Possibly there were cleaning products at play here and he needed to get some sort of smell out of the house. That was the first thing that became apparent. He also noticed Larry was very calm, but he looked like he hadn't slept much. When Billy asked about Maya, Larry said this was just usual behavior for her, that oh, she just takes off all the time whenever she wants. He then claimed that he didn't feel emergency services were necessary when she went missing, but the rest of her family, friends, and colleagues later vehemently disagreed with this statement. Larry claimed that she might have gone hiking or visited wine country for a while, but he also admitted to having arguments with Maya before she disappeared. Larry then noticed a hole in the bedroom door right near the handle, maybe possibly like right where the, he, he described it as being right where the lock is, kind of beside the lock if you're trying to unlock a door somehow frantically. There was also another hole in the bedroom wall that was recently repaired and it looked too high for Maya to have punched it, but Larry said that that was also her doing. So he said she punched a hole in the door? And the wall. Hmm. Very weird. 
After that first day of investigating, Billy had an immediate gut feeling that Larry had just killed Maya. But obviously he didn't want to tell the family just yet. It was far too early in the investigation, so he didn't want to Well, yeah, I mean, you don't want to, I mean, if you don't have definitive proof, that's a pretty big accusation right. to make. And if you don't have definitive proof that and you're wrong, that would be that awful. would be be yeah. really really bad. The police had previously said we're not treating this as a murder case because there's no foul play. But you don't think that punched out drywall and punched out door is a red flag for some foul play here? If it's in fact even a punch that made those holes right. too, could have been something else. Could have been something else, right? Then on January 13, volunteers and friends of the family began a massive search at Mount San Miguel Park where they thought she might have been, quote, hiking, but they came up with nothing. They went on to search several areas over the next few months, especially in the desert area east of Chula Vista near the Arizona border. They knew that the area was vast, wild, and desolate, but Mary Chris and the rest of Maya's family organized the searches for Maya anyway. Soon enough, a neighbor's security camera footage was recovered. It showed Larry driving home on the day after Maya's disappearance. At 5.58 a.m., he could be seen backing the family Lexus GX460 toward the house, but the rear of the car couldn't be seen since it was inside of the garage. At 6.45 a.m., the vehicle then left the house and didn't return for about 11 and a half hours. This was the same day that Mai's family had come to check on her. Larry later told police he had taken the children to Solana Beach that day. But when police later asked a neighbor... They said Larry had told them he had taken his car out to Anza Borrego Desert State Park. Police finally got a search warrant for the family home on January 23rd, and by now Maya had been missing for over two weeks. So very, very weird, very suspicious at this point. And this first warrant would be one of 67 search warrants over the next several months. During their early searches, they seized a variety of handguns, rifles, and shotguns. They conducted another search on January 26th, and that's when they retrieved the GPS information on the Lexus. The data did not show the car's exact location that day, and Larry's phone had been turned off. Investigators also discovered Maya's phone was still inside of the home, but the car's navigation system revealed that someone entered the house's address at 3.29 p.m., and Larry returned home that day at 6.06 p.m., so it's believed Larry had to have been about two and a half hours away from his house when he entered into the GPS. By February 3rd, 2021, almost a month after Maya went missing, Larry hired a lawyer and stopped cooperating with police. Meanwhile, friends of Maya had also told police that by early 2020, Larry's behavior had become a serious problem. Allegedly, Larry had become controlling and paranoid, especially after believing that Maya was having an affair. One of Maya's friends alleged that Larry had also become physically abusive. A different friend at some point offered Maya a place to stay because they feared for her safety. After collecting texts and internet data from Maya, Larry, and their friends and family, it was obvious the couple's having serious marital problems. Larry's internet activity uncovered plenty of things police would be concerned about. By March of 2020, Larry had been tracking Maya's spending and her activity on her social media accounts. He became paranoid that she was having an affair with someone at work. He thought she was, quote, falling into temptation he started forcing her to go to church with him. He had also begun sending Maya's family Bible passages, like Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, which says, For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. 
Her steps lead straight to the grave. It's a very eerie verse to send her family. In other messages, they discovered that he admitted he was, quote, getting desperate, and he felt that, quote, the devil was tempting him. Other text messages reveal that Maya had been having an affair with a married coworker named Jamie, starting in September 2020. And she had also separated from her husband for several weeks during this time, aka sleeping in separate bedrooms. Months before she vanished, she secretly recorded an interaction between her and Larry on her phone. Let's take a look at that. That's enough for you to wish death on me all the time? Oh, that's enough that, you know, that you gradually had an affair since December. And he probably, whenever he got hired or whatever, and we got close to him, oh, he's cute and all that stuff. You're probably the one that hired him. You know, you interviewed Seriously? him. You interviewed him. Every day you do it, this. It was never Every day a thing. you do this. It's, you're always like, oh, it was the thing. But no, it was gradual. You, you guys, he was going for you already. He was going for you. Two comments that I have. Uh, one, the video starts with her asking, is this why you wish death upon me? So we're missing a little bit of even why she began recording. And that's kind of leads into my second comment. Who records interactions with their spouse? If they're not worried about something. Yeah. yeah that's a good point. It's almost, yeah. It's, it's clearly, yeah, I think there's definitely more damning audio For from, sure. from that clip that we just don't have. And who knows what he had said prior to, to that, to make her even make a statement like that. Right. Are you wishing death on me? there have been threats that's what i imagine investigators reported that jamie and maya had ended their affair the month before she disappeared but they remained close the investigation into larry and maya's digital activity got even more bizarre by the fall of 2020 this is where this case is very uh, lights out-esque so larry had contacted a handful of spellcasters online in an attempt to keep his marriage together by March 2021, police found a five-star review that Larry wrote for one of the self-proclaimed witches. He wrote, quote, She is kind, professional, and courteous. My casting has not yet manifested, but I'm really hoping and counting on it. These spells were most likely just a few dollars to begin with, and they were meant for Maya to somehow be attracted to him again, like a, similar to a love spell. But over time, apparently he had spent over $1,000 on spellcasters that he found online. This is really weird to me because he goes from sending Bible passages to reaching out to witches for help. Right. Which, I mean, those two, those two don't really jive together, the yeah. Bible and, and witches and witchcraft. So we'll dive into that a little bit more later of where his headspace is at and what he truly believes. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a mystery. The one concerning thing is they found one of the spells was a picture of Larry and Maya together. It's this black and white photo and it's spattered in blood and placed on an altar. Four candles were placed on each corner of the picture. Some sort of rocks were placed in specific areas as well as some sticks tied together. I mean, it's really something you'd see like in a horror movie, someone hiding it in the closet, some strange altar and they're, you know, hexing or sacrificing something. But this wouldn't be the end of the spell casting, and police will uncover more things as this case develops. This is the more tame end of the spell casting. 
starts as just, can I get back with my wife? Will my wife love me again? And then started somewhat innocently. I'm really curious about the specifics of this ritual. Um, because by looking at the photo, which, which we'll put on screen for you, it's, I, I don't know, it's giving me like voodoo vibes almost. Yep. He, he even says the word voodoo, which we'll get into later, but yeah, he does reference voodoo and, uh, we'll go back into the, the history of some of these spells a bit later. By December of 2020, Maya and Larry had been sleeping in separate bedrooms and Maya kept finding Bose Bluetooth speakers in the bedroom. This is very weird. When she confronted Larry about it, you know, why is there random Bluetooth speakers in my room? Well, turns out that Larry, and he admitted this to her, that he had been playing subliminal messages through those speakers while she slept. One particular track he played was titled Silent, No More Men. After this, Maya texted a friend saying, my marriage is definitely over. And on New Year's weekend, Maya finally told her family that she was going to divorce Larry. Through phone records, they discovered that one of the last things that Maya had done before she went missing was call two divorce attorneys on the afternoon just before she disappeared. Neighbor security cameras last spotted Maya arriving home at 4.42 p.m. and this was the last time that she was ever documented alive and no footage ever showed her leaving the home. So I think you kind of put two and two together here. Her phone disconnected days later with its last location being in the house. The investigation then uncovered audio recordings from nearby neighbors. Eight loud bangs could be heard in the neighborhood around the Miliate's house around 8.30 p.m. the same night. It took a while for the surveillance to be released to the police because the neighbors were concerned about their privacy. Investigators also uncovered neighborhood audio recordings around 10 p.m. on the night that this all happened. The Miliate children could be heard playing outside in the backyard, even though it was a cold night in the high 40s and obviously these are kids they should be in bed and uh yeah this this audio is just eerie let's hear the audio of the kids it sounds like children playing in a backyard at 10 35 p.m when the temperature outside would have been about 50 degrees the audio recorded by a surveillance camera in the Chula Vista neighborhood on the night Maya Miliete went missing January 7th. You can hear what sounds like Maya's oldest daughter calling out to her younger sister by her nickname, Myla. A half an hour earlier that night, at 10 p.m., the same surveillance camera recorded eight loud bangs, sounding like gunshots. That audio is very distressing to listen to. The children sound definitely distressed. It just sounds chaotic. Yeah, and I mean... You know, obviously, none of this is damning by itself, but when all the puzzle pieces kind of start falling together, uh, the picture becomes much clearer of what's going on here. So as the theory goes, the banging noises uh, are supposedly the gunshots that killed Maya. And then Larry might have sent the children outside at 10 p.m. that night in the cold, and again on a school night, so that he could then move their mother's body, as well as clean up the crime scene. A later FBI analysis of the neighbor's loud banging audio was inconclusive. 
they could not clearly tell if there were gunshots because of the poor quality. Let's let's listen to to those uh, bangs again. Those are really loud bangs. I'm trying to wrap my head around what else could make a sound like that loud enough for a neighbor's security camera to pick up that audio. Right. And I mean, I get why. I mean, I'm not a. I, I don't know how to analyze audio like this, and I'm I'm assuming the FBI has plenty of capable people, but I understand why they would say. Uh, we we can't yeah. confirm i mean they're consistent they all sound this, like the same thing going off which would kind of suggests a gunshot sounds extremely loud we also don't know i don't know the positioning of where that camera was in the neighborhood but right well there's like four bangs that are within a second of each other back to back to back then there's some silence then the others come after kind of more spaced out which is kind of weird yeah disturbing if he's still yeah, if those are gunshots, it's disturbing. I mean, he has guns, about. so yeah, he definitely, definitely could have been. I'm just like, if eight gunshots went off, I'm just thinking, like inside a house. He, I mean, I'm just thinking of like how you clean that up, you know, right? And with and so much so that it's not noticeable immediately following this happening you know because the next day like how are all the bullets being contained yeah they never found any evidence of the bullets being in the house at all so and i'm curious about and we don't have a picture of that hole on the door so i'm very curious about that hole if it looks like a bullet hole or a a fist or something because it'd be obviously very easy to tell yeah between the two so it was also later revealed that a neighbor saw a fire in the backyard of the Miliate's house. The witness claimed that the fire was not recreational and they saw Larry in the backyard beside this fire. Police actually discovered burned credit cards and papers in that backyard fire chimney. And again, the suspicious evidence against Larry just continues to stack up. 
By April 2021, police told the press there had been an active investigation open since that January, but they still wouldn't reveal much of the information that they had. Every time Billy Little gave them information and requested a follow-up, he would never hear from them. Soon, the family search parties turn into protests outside of the Chula Vista Police Department, and rightfully so. They're very angry. They feel like, you know, maybe there's nothing being done. They're just overlooking the evidence that's there. And all the while this is happening, Maya's children were still in Larry's custody, which is also scary to think about. In May 2021, police served Larry Miliette with a gun violence restraining order. They discovered an image that Larry had taken on his phone where his four-year-old son was surrounded by countless assault rifles and handguns. Then they seized more weapons from the house. So Larry had like an arsenal. Yeah. I mean, this is not just like a few owning a few guns. This is like he had an armory inside of his home. To me, this screams paranoid, a uh, paranoid individual. I mean, that's a lot of weaponry there. Not, not that there's anything wrong with having a lot of guns and, yeah. and all that. I mean, if that's what you're into, then, then fine. But in this particular circumstance, I feel like his paranoia is maybe playing into why he has so many weapons here. Yeah. And it's, I, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, there are plenty of gun nuts out there who aren't like this. Uh, it's more curious as to why he has multiple weapons of the same type. Because yeah. it's like, why would you even need multiple assault rifles that are basically, from the picture, it looks like they're almost the exact same models. It does. So it's it does. Like, I don't know why you'd need that. My, my immediate thought, and this is just purely speculation, is that perhaps if he was going to be found out and you know the police were going to come and try to take him, arrest him that he was going to have a shootout with police that he was going to be like death by cop type so situation like multiple loaded weapons yeah like he was going to barricade himself inside of his house and have a shootout with police i mean that's that's really the only thing i can think of in this particular situation yeah because i mean there's not it's not like we know he was like a doomsday prep or anything like that no evidence of that as far as i know so to me i feel like maybe he was going to eventually just like barricade and and fight until till yeah. the end because i i don't know to me this seems far beyond a hobby totally at this point yeah yeah the, this is very very this is a ton of stuff here on july 21st 2021 larry was finally named an official person of interest in the disappearance of maya obviously one of the major complications with this case besides just not having a lot of physical and forensic evidence, there's no body, right? So there's this old adage of no body, no murder, right? You've probably heard this. Mm -hmm. There's a common sentiment in a lot of true crime cases. And this whole case is relying on circumstantial evidence, which it has a ton of. Uh, and we'll get, there's even more beyond this that we haven't even covered, but you can imagine how hard it would be to convince a jury without physical evidence, without a body, you know? It's much harder. Yes. I, I've literally just seen where this this actually got the killer off. Really? Um, yeah. If any of you are familiar with uh, Alyssa Turney's case, her sister, Sarah, believes that her father murdered her sister. She oh, disappeared. Oh, that's right, yep. Much like this kind of situation, like out in the desert type of thing. and. Prosecutors tried to 
you know, they charged him and he didn't even get a trial because there was a lack of evidence in the eyes of the the judge, I believe. And so they just let him go. Damn. Because there's no body. And again, there's far less circumstantial evidence. I mean, there's still a decent amount of circumstantial evidence, but not quite as damning as, as this particular case. I still think there is enough circumstantial evidence to convict uh, her father, but judge didn't think so. Damn. And so they let, they, he's, he's completely free. free. Yeah. So it does, it does happen. It is, it is very hard despite circumstantial evidence that seems like it would convince a jury. It, it may not even make it to that point to a trial point before it gets thrown out. Right. So that's always a fear for prosecutors. And that's why they hold the preliminary hearing. Right. Exactly. See, like, do we even have enough? Yep, yeah, exactly. So this idea of no body, no murder actually comes from a very old case in England and it dates back to 1660. Whoa. Yeah. In Chipping Hampton. Right, I'm, I'm not going to mess this up. UK this folks. Is, sorry yeah. in advance for this pronunciation. I looked this Gloucestershire. up. Gloucestershire. Yes. Gloucestershire. Don't say Gloucestershire. Yeah. Don't say Shire, man. As much as you want to say Shire. <laughs> I did that for a long time and I'll never live it down. Yep. Sure. Shipping Campton, Gloucestershire. Not bad. Thank you. And it's one of the main cultural reasons why we think of the theory, no body, no murder. And I didn't know this. So bear with me. We're going to go on a little short journey outside of this case, just to add some context to why it's so problematic when you don't have a body. So long story short, I've condensed this. You're going to get the, the sweet bedtime story here. Long story short, on August 16th of that year, 1660, a 70-year-old man named William Harrison left his home in Chipping Campton and began a two-mile walk to the nearby village of Sharingworth. He didn't come home when his family expected him to, so they sent their servant, John Perry, out to look for him. He never returned. So William's son, Edward, also joined the search the following day. He found John on the road to Sharingworth. John admitted he had no luck finding William. They both continued the search and they walked on to Ebrington where they discovered some of the locals had met with William the previous night. Edward and John then headed further out to Paxford but there was no sign of William. They ended their search and headed home to Chipping Camden. On their way back they heard that some of William's belongings were actually found on the main road between Chipping Camden and Ebrington. It was a shirt, a hat, and a neckband. The hat had been slashed with a sharp object. The shirt and neckband were soaked in blood, but they never found William. They never found his body. William's servant, John Perry, was the first to be accused. He said he was innocent and that his mother and brother, Joan and Richard, had actually killed William for money. Then they hid his body. Both Joan and Richard denied this, but John doubled down. John said, hey, look, they dumped William's body in a nearby mill pond. They ended up dredging the entire pond, but they still never found William's body. So during the trial, they claimed money was the motive and the jury believed John's story because he had no reason to lie. He even admitted to being the one who suggested the robbery and he also admitted to stealing from the family before. Even the defendants ended up pleading guilty, including John himself, 
It was a strange case where the defense team thought they would get a pardon under the Indemnity and Oblivion Act of 1660, which had to do with some civil war, but they thought they could use this as a loophole and everyone would be let free, so they pleaded guilty. At first, the judge refused to prosecute them because there was no body, but the court eventually decided that they would be tried for murder. All three were eventually hanged where Broadway Tower stands today. The mother was accused of even being a witch, so they executed her first so she couldn't cast any spells to prevent her sons from confessing before their deaths. And still, in their final moments, both John and Richard denied they murdered anyone. So here is why we are obsessed with the no body, no murder. In the end, a couple years later, guess who wanders back into town? It's old William Harrison. He claimed that night he had been assaulted, abducted, sold into slavery in the Ottoman Empire. And he told this long tale of his master later dying and he was able to hop on a ship as a stowaway and make it all the way back to England. It's unclear if William was even telling the truth. We don't actually know. He could have been fleeing for some other... just run off, yeah. Yeah, it could have been some people think it was for political reasons. Oh, or interesting. He was maybe under suspicion of some crimes and stuff, but no one really knows. Either way, William was not dead, and three people were hanged for this. So this old case from the 1600s, England, really started this whole idea. And, uh, I mean, that's pretty awful, really, when you think about it. Um, three innocent people. Especially just going straight to execution like they did yeah, back then. Yeah, that's like, it. Right? Straight guilty. to the gallows. Wow. So, I mean, there's a lot of differences, though, thinking back then. Today, look, we have digital footprints, surveillance, endless logs of recorded conversations, forensics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So compared to Maya's case, hers is obviously much more detailed and clear compared to these single eyewitnesses just throwing their family yeah. members under the bus and, and that's it, right? Also keep in mind that since prosecutors nowadays, they're aware that it's incredibly difficult to convict someone of murder without a body, and they normally avoid bringing first-degree murder charges if they didn't think they could get a conviction. That's very, very important because first-degree murder is premeditation. You have to be able to prove that beyond a reasonable doubt. And sometimes, I mean... Let's all remember one of the most infamous cases of all time, Casey Anthony. Oh, yeah. And that's what happens when you go, you know, that's a great example of the prosecution going as hard as they possibly can because they they feel like they have the the circumstantial evidence or just the evidence in general to to get that conviction. And the jury's just not convinced. Yeah, I remember completely backfires that was the first case because i we were probably kind of young then were we teenagers i think it was like 17 it was like it was definitely at the end of high school okay yeah Yeah. and i wasn't really obsessed with true crime at that case but that was the first time i had ever really heard that saying beyond a reasonable doubt because they i remember in that case they were obsessing over that terminology Mm -hmm. and yeah in the end that whole case she was acquitted yeah which is just insane Back to Maya's case here though, on October 19th, over nine months since Maya had disappeared, a Chula Vista SWAT team went in and arrested Larry. And luckily they were able to do this without incidents. I mean, they're pretty smart nowadays. They surprised him pretty much. And you know, that whole 
kind of theory about his arsenal uh, didn't end up coming to fruition. But Larry was later charged with first degree murder, as well as an additional charge of unlawful possession of a weapon. Maya's friends and family had been waiting for months for this to happen, and many were relieved when he was finally arrested. But they now also had to face the fact that Maya was most likely dead. Here's a press conference that shows the mixed emotions that, that come with something like this. Uh, so here's Maya's sister, Mary Chris, and how she was dealing with things after Larry's arrest. It's hard to go against a family. He's been with us for 20 years. My sister did not him. She gave him three kids. She just can't let go. And it's, this is not, this is still not the end. Just heartbreaking. Yeah, you can hear the pain in her voice. Also, feel for her too, because you're not only losing your sister, you're now having to, it's, it's your brother-in-law. Like yeah. that must be tough too. Cause you've known him for decades at this point. The father of your nieces. Right. You know, it's, it's devastating when this happens. Also during this same press conference, San Diego district attorney, Summer Stefan explained how they could build a murder case without a body being discovered. There is case law that we will be using in this case that makes it even more clear that a missing body is circumstantial evidence that there was foul play and that it's a murder because somebody who takes their own life cannot hide their own body. Not super clear, but I do understand like as long as this is written into law is basically what she's saying. Uh, we can use this as circumstantial evidence. Totally. And I'm glad she did say that. Although I do have to comment on the last statement that she made that someone that takes their own life can't hide their body and that's that's obviously true in the way that she said it but somebody could for sure go off to the middle of nowhere the ocean or something yeah or you know go somewhere where they know nobody will find them yeah i mean it does happen yeah, and then obviously take your own life she's trying to lean into right. the fact of uh that probably didn't happen in this case right yeah. having the body of the victim is not required to convict someone of murder but it would obviously make the case against Larry much harder to build. Investigators then asked the public to turn over any information about the case or Maya's remains. Now with the arrest of Larry reaching the headlines, they were hopeful more people would come forward with more information. And the investigation had discovered more bizarre things the further they dug into the case. As the preliminary hearings began, more information became available to the public. As it turned out, the magic spells that Larry was casting weren't just to keep his marriage together. His requests had started escalating, and he wanted the spells and hexes to physically harm Maya. So in the month before Maya disappeared, Larry messaged a spellcaster saying, quote, make her really, really in all caps, sick and keep her sick. He also said, quote, please punish May and incapacitate her enough so she can't leave the house. It's time to take the gloves off. She's too much. She needs to be humbled down to the lowest of the low. Another one read, quote, She's only nice to me when she needs me or sick, maybe an accident or broken bone. So wishing harm on her at this point. Yes. 
So there's violence at play with these spellcasters here. So here's the question you were asking earlier. Why did Larry, who was supposedly a practicing Christian, turn to witchcraft and sorcery? It doesn't make sense. It's kind of two conflicting ideologies here. He had forced Maya to go to church with him and even quoted Bible passages that we know. It's possible that Larry might have been inspired by folk magic from the Philippines, which is where Maya and him, if you remember, were originally from. So I did a little bit of digging. I can't, it's hard to find anything. Um, yeah, these types of things are really hard to research because right. it, it just really depends on who you ask, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and with the information that I know from the case, I, I kind of had to piece this together a little bit. So there's a form of Filipino witchcraft called, and excuse me if I'm mispronouncing this, monkuculum, which means a practitioner of kulam. Some have compared it to black magic. I don't really know how similar it is, though. People just like to sling that term around yeah. willy-nilly. It's also similar to voodoo, which you mentioned, where they use dolls and needles to cast spells. And Larry even mentioned the word voodoo in some of his messages to spellcasters. Sometimes photographs might be used in the place of a doll, and they also use candle lighting rituals, possibly similar to the ritual that was photographed that we saw. Supposedly, these witches' main targets are often unfaithful spouses, which tracks in this case, and these types of witches are also known to sell love potions. I found an article from the Seattle Times, and they once reported on the island province of Sakir in the Philippines, and one of the witches who had been practicing for almost 60 years said that the majority of their clients are jealous spouses or scorned lovers, which mm-hmm. is, this is the case here. So Larry might have been trying to use a, some sort of bastardized version of this or something similar to this magic in the months leading up to Mai's disappearance. There's also a chance that Larry really had no idea what he was doing, what he was getting into. He was just desperate and reaching out. But the day that Maya went missing, he sent countless emails to more spellcasters. And on the morning before her disappearance, he messaged a spellcaster saying, quote, the divorce is going to happen whether I want it or not. And around 3 p.m., just a couple hours before Maya was last seen, he told another spellcaster, quote, I'm shaking inside, ready to snap. So, I mean, this is all really adding up here, right? Another one of Maya's friends had also come forward and told police that Maya admitted that Larry had choked her to the point where she was unconscious. Maya had kept this a secret from her family, as it turned out, Maya didn't often confess everything to everyone, which I really didn't know this, but it does make sense. This is kind of common in domestic abuse cases. A lot of the times, the person who's being abused only reveals bits and pieces of her troubles at home to a variety of people. So you, yeah. you don't really get the full scope of it until everyone comes together and corroborates the story of domestic abuse. Very similar to the Jessica Easterly case. Right, yeah. That's nobody so nobody even really knew her family was completely i mean they had a hunch but they were completely oblivious to what was really going on there and she jessica hid a lot of the stuff from her family and friends and just little tiny tidbits would come out um that you know kind of caused red flags to go up yeah i remember some of her friends like facebook messaging right. hers and it found out it was him and yeah, yeah it's very similar and and people also put a lot of guilt on their shoulders when they realize, like, oh, this was going on. But the reason you really maybe didn't know it was going on is because she was only giving you 
small samples of the full picture at home. Maya's case went on to become a prime example of modern domestic abuse, and the countless text messages and online activities show that Larry knew how to control her through her family, her work, her children, and her religion. On the one-year anniversary of Maya's disappearance in January 2022, her family held a vigil for her. This is kind of the first time they're openly accepting that she has passed. Here's a short clip of Mary Chris at the vigil. It's time for her to go home. It's time for her to come home. It's too long. I need to bring her home. We need to bring her home to my mom and my dad and to her kids. Just the agony of not knowing where your loved one is is probably the worst thing you can possibly experience. Because, I mean, they're, they know what happened, right? Yeah. And she's, from what I understand, she's referencing her body needs to come we need a burial we need a funeral yeah, we need, need to be able to say goodbye yeah. in some way shape or form and, and get that closure but there's none of that in sight after larry's arrest the searches have continued for maya since the public knew from the lexus's gps information that larry was about two and a half hours from the home the search parties tried to pinpoint locations that he might have gone to countless volunteers have joined the search since larry's arrest Larry was charged with one count of murder and one count of unlawful possession of an assault weapon. He was denied bail, and he later entered a plea of not guilty. He claims he's innocent. His defense will rely on the possibility that Maya is still out there alive. She just chose to up and leave her family and kids, and he didn't do anything. So they're they're buying into the no murder, no body, or at least they're trying, they're to, trying sell. to argue that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, how can you convict me if? She's out she there alive still eventually. Mm -hmm. Still, the defense plans on painting Maya as having a wild lifestyle. They claim she would often get drunk until dawn, was having an affair, and had become a completely different person, which this is just so horrible because I know exactly what the defense is going to do here. They're going to make her the bad guy. Yep. 100%. They're going to be like, she was the one having the affair. She's the one going crazy. She was, you know, nobody knew who she really was, that she was just living this second life so to speak they're gonna attack her character for yeah, sure character and assassination we'll see a bit later how a lot of this doesn't fly in court um they'll have a lot of objections because his lawyers are just it's irrelevant information but they're trying to plant these little seeds in the courtroom that's basically like look how unhinged she was yeah. and you're like how is this relevant to the murder case at hand so earlier this year much more evidence has come forward, especially during the 10-day preliminary hearing. Larry's defense tried to claim that he didn't know Maya was seeking a divorce, but Larry's text messages showed that he told someone, quote, she's asking for a divorce again. I'm about to lose it. This happened only two days before Maya vanished. That's not to mention all the messages he had sent to the spellcasters on the day of, talking about the divorce and admitting he was going to snap. Plus, it was later revealed that Larry's spell request had drastically changed after Maya disappeared. When he returned to the house after that 11-hour trip, and who knows where he went, the day after Maya disappeared, he messaged a spellcaster saying, quote, Can you remove or stop hexing my wife, May? Instead, hex Jamie. So now he's moving on to the man that she's having an affair with. And We'd there's no more concern about needing to 
ex his wife. And if you want to read into this, this is my take. The the subtext here is that I've dealt with May. Let's move on to the couldn't be any more obvious. Yeah. I think. Without the body of the victim, the prosecution will still have to present strong evidence that ties Larry to the murder, which might be a severe disadvantage for the prosecution. Much of the evidence is circumstantial, as we've been saying, but many are hopeful it's enough for a conviction. In August and September of 2023, NBC7 San Diego interviewed Larry in two sessions against the advice from his defense team. This is very, very interesting that he was willing to do this. So Larry began the interview by saying that the allegations are outrageous. In regards to where he thought Maya was, he said, quote, no comment. He didn't want anything to be used against him in court, so he was careful about what he said. He answered many of the questions with, quote, I'd rather not talk about that, or that will all come out in court during the trial. But he was open to answering some of the questions. Here's some highlights from some of those interviews. So this first clip. Larry's explaining why he never joined the search parties to go looking for his wife. The main reason I didn't go worry, I was getting death threats from almost uh, instantly um, after, you know, the situation. And uh, we were doing our own thing, but it wasn't like in the limelight, you know. So, again, I don't want to answer that question. If it was my boyfriend that went missing, I would lose my mind and I would be out there desperate to find him. And why don't I feel that from you? I'm a kind of, I shed tears in private, you know. Um, again, see, I didn't want to say that because I don't want to embarrass or humiliate, humiliate our children because this stuff stays out there. And, you know, to hurt someone, they usually use your weaknesses against you. So, you know, not just because I'm not weeping or crying in public or on camera doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not human and I, I don't have feelings, you know what I mean? Okay, strange. He doesn't want his family humiliated as he cries in public. Sounds like some uh, classic toxic masculinity right there. Um, but everything's well-crafted, though. It's like he's yeah, told himself totally. all these lies and He's rehearsed this stuff for sure. This next clip is Larry explaining why there was burned credit cards and documents found in his backyard. Ma'am, uh, that's normal practice if you ask my next-door neighbor and my other neighbors. I've been doing that since 2013. Larry says they burned junk mail all the time. Plus, the fire was well after police had already searched the Miliete home. No, it wasn't my credit. It, it's basically one of those, um, you know, those uh, junk mail credit cards. What evidence can I burn when they've already been to... That was after the third search, second or third. They did a fourth one, like a really another extensive search. So what else can I have burned? Just casually. I don't know anybody that burns their junk mail. Right, like, and and burning plastic too in yeah. a residential area. Yeah. Sounds like a bad idea. Kind of a health hazard. So yeah, might not, might not be damning evidence, but weird regardless. I mean, and maybe that is just something that he did. Yeah. There's no relation to him doing that True. after she disappears. It's very possible. It just suggests that there might be something else that yeah. he was burning, right? To me, it kind of seemed like that was, compared to the other response that we got, that was a very confident response. Yeah, true. So much so that you can see him kind of smirking. Yeah, he's laughing, yeah. Which freaks me out too, but yeah. I don't think that was necessarily a lie. But let's listen to him talk a little bit about 
his and Maya's relationship. She's been my best friend since we were 15. And, um, you know, we just get along, um, you know, over 20 years together. So, you know, I, I love her and I love her still. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make her happy. And uh, if it takes 5, 10, 15 years, you know, I could wait. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think the only lie is that he's saying that she's still out there, but they could have totally been in love for a very long time up to this moment. Like, there are plenty of couples who are deeply in love with each other that end up in the same situation, right? Yeah, and again, this isn't addressing the affair or his feelings about the affair. Right, he skipped I, over that. Yeah, exactly. But let's listen to his response to why wouldn't he let Maya divorce him? It's, you know, I don't want to, you know, marriage is sacred. And, you know, I'm trying to keep our family together. Very short and he did stumble over that because mm-hmm. I think it's a logical question. Like, why can't you just let her go? He's like, I want to keep our family together. Okay. Yeah, whatever. I mean, he's definitely, I think he used this interview to try to like make himself look good. Mm-hmm. And, then, and he, he's picking and choosing what he answers and how he answers it. And he's picking things that he can say something smart like that and be like oh you know i'm just trying to keep the family together like he's this good guy yeah it's got the little uh religious icing on it too right mm-hmm. you know it's, it's marriage is sacred you don't you don't get divorced right mm-hmm. so let's let's hear these next couple clips he's going to be talking about why he rarely ever says maya's name as well as why he was seeking out spellcasters to harm his wife should be interesting because uh, i never called her by the name i called her mahal which is, you know, my love. Um, only the special people in her life, like her father, her mother, her siblings, my whole family, my mother, my father, my brother, my extended, some of my extended family only call her Maya. Why would you ever ask a spellcaster to inflict harm on your wife? No, oh, ma'am, I'd, I'd rather not comment. It's uh, not fully true. How did you even come to look for sorcery? Why did you turn to sorcery? Initially, it was, uh, um, I was going through the internet, trying to go on any route to try to save my marriage. And, um, you know, I bought books, love languages, um, uh, even went to therapy, went to the pastor. Um, and then one day I was at uh, on the computer and it's like, hey, you know, uh, there's a spell for love, love spells. So, you know, I tried it out, you know, I never believed in it. You know, I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I'll try it out. And that's when, you know, it kind of started. But it was more of a coping mechanism. It was more of a coping mechanism. I don't think that what? that's how to cope with things. Sure, sure as hell is not what the messages read. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the thing, dude, is like, you can try to spin this however you want, but we have, we have the transcript. Dude. Yeah. You didn't say it like that. You're literally like, I hope she gets sick. I hope she breaks a bone or gets in an accident, dude. Yeah. How does that help keep your marriage together? Yeah, we saw what you said. So he's just trying to skirt around this. And he's he knows that the public's eyes are going to be on this but he's stupid in thinking that we won't know the full scope of the story watching other things certainly the jury will yeah you know what i mean jury's not watching this right everybody in the public maybe but the jury's not going to see this so it's like you're not really helping yourself as much as you think you are right so i guess later 
Larry gave this interviewer a list of notes he had written in jail. And in regards to spell casting, he quoted several Bible passages that condemn witchcraft. So he's like, what, just being contradictory? Like, I think he's just trying to be like, no, no, I, I wasn't really into it that much. It's not like that's not me. I'm really a Catholic and a Christian. Yeah. And so obviously I don't believe in that stuff. It was just kind of this like fun thing I was playing around with for a minute. It's kind of how he's trying to spin it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, dude. So during the preliminary hearings, according to Mary Chris and Larry's own sister, Genesis, Maya had once said something along the lines of, quote, if something happens to me, it's going to be Larry. This is Larry's response to Mary Chris and his sister. She said, if something happens to me, it's going to be Larry. If you noticed, I was actually very surprised, but uh, Mary Chris has, was very hesitant to even say it. She kind of paused, and I knew why she was pausing, because... You know, she was she was faced with a difficult decision to maybe make a false statement, you know, committing perjury. She told me, stop answering Larry's call because anything that um, you say to him is going to be used against me. Um, this is it. I'm going to file for divorce. And if something happens to me, it would be Larry. I think, you know, a lot of these testimonies are coerced or... They- why, why would they coerce testimonies? Why would they lie? Because they already basically, I think, undermined or convinced that I had something to do with uh, Maya's disappearance or her being missing. I'm thinking that they all sit down together and uh, think of ways to, hey, if we all say this and we're on cahoots, you know, uh, maybe we can get them on this or get them on that. Because I know I have, haven't done anything. Matt, if you get enough people to say something about you, then they can actually convince a juror or a judge to sit, you know, put you away for the well, rest of your life. Well, that's why perjury is a crime. Yes, ma'am. It's a serious crime. This is a very interesting one because we have seen, of course, statements like this. Before. Yeah, remember, I think it was the Donald Hartung case where it sounded like the prisoner was just, he was fed lined yep. and he was just kind of verbatim mm-hmm. saying everything. Which but, again... We don't know for sure if that's what happened. Right. We just kind of got the feeling that that was happening, right? Mm -hmm. But he could maybe convince me if it was just Maya's sister, because obviously she has more bias in this. But that Genesis is his own sister going against him and saying, corroborating that, right? So that seems way more damning that you now have his own sister saying that. And I don't know their relationship that well, but. Um, I don't know. He, like any good liar, they know how to sprinkle in the truth with the lie, right? Right, right. So the next couple clips include questions to Larry, like, will he take a plea deal? And how can Larry be so stoic in court while people portray him as a murderer during the preliminary hearings? Let's hear what he has to say. So, um, that's just how I was trained now. Uh, you know, in the service, we have this, um, Thing called the DRB Disciplinary Review Board, and basically uh, you're taught to um, stand there uh, at attention with a thousand yard stare, just stand still during uh, professional proceedings. Um, you know, uh, it's difficult to keep your composure and your professionalism, especially under these circumstances. But um, there were times I actually, you know, shed a little some tears, but I I moved away. Also, didn't want you know, my children to be embarrassed or humiliated with the videos of uh, their father uh, being weak. 
I mean, I don't really. It doesn't sound like he's lying there, but valid response, I'd say. Do you take a plea deal? I don't even know if any any has uh, been offered. Um, uh, to this point, whatever gets me to our family, you know, to so I can take care of our children again. You know, what's the quickest route for me to get back to taking care of our family? Even if that means pleading guilty. Guilty to what? To murder in the first degree. See what I mean? That's, to me, that's astonishing. It's like falsifying, um, uh, being coerced or uh, falsifying uh, admission, you know, like admitting guilt false, falsely. After watching those clips, it's very clear that Larry feels that the narrative has already been set. And in his words, he says the narrative has been set a long time ago and that everybody's kind of made up their minds about this case, which to a, de- to a degree, yes, yeah, everybody has made up their minds, but it's not just purely off of, you know, just this random yeah. accusation. Yeah. Like there's statistics that back this up too. Right. Uh, domestic abuse and, and murder. But also there's all this other evidence too that all points to that. Is there a possibility that she left? Yeah, but that if you were to make percentages there, I think that would be a very, very small percentage yeah. of possibility. Yeah, I'd, I'd put it at less than 0.5%, probably to just 0% at this point. Right. I, I wouldn't even... Where's the evidence to suggest that she's alive. that she's alive and she left there would be some evidence of that yeah that interview actually asked her he did he it was one of the other no comment uh but the question was great it was okay we didn't see the evidence of maya leaving the house so if she did leave how was she not caught on any of the neighborhood cameras anywhere unless she left with you and you dropped her off somewhere and you know where she left from right and for whatever reason you're not telling us why wouldn't you just tell people yeah i drove her out to whatever spot and then she took off on foot yeah that's he's missing this whole piece that backs up his story right and uh yeah then he just said no comment you'll you'll see it in the trial okay i guess we will see huh so you're probably wondering about their children Uh, i'm very concerned about their children um this is extremely traumatic but larry's parents currently have custody of them Larry has been estranged from Maya's side of the family for some time, and they were granted visitation rights to the children in November 2021. Mary Chris has since filed a petition for guardianship over their children, and in May of 2023, Larry's attorney told the court Larry is frustrated that he has to write his children letters in jail. Then someone takes the letters and censors them and then mails them, and it takes a long time. Larry has violated his phone privileges in the past, even after his privileges were revoked. A protective order prohibited him from having any contact with his children at all, but he then made hundreds of phone calls to them. This got his jail call privileges revoked in October 2021 after violating the no contact order. Then Larry still made dozens of calls using another inmate's phone privileges. In the end, Larry's legal request to restore his phone privileges was denied. The judge pointed out that Larry's suffering is irrelevant because the protective order is in place to protect the children, not their father. In June 2023, a custody hearing modified summer visitation with the children so Mary, Chris, and Richard could spend more time with them. A trial date to decide who will get custody has been set for January 5th, 2024. 
The children have been interviewed by a deputy district attorney and a forensic psychologist twice. The youngest is in first grade, and the court said he was in counseling and is brilliant and flourishing. The two girls, 12 and 13, are in school, playing basketball and doing taekwondo. They also have returned to counseling sessions. Mary Chris has complained that these court proceedings have taken far too long, both for the custody battle and Larry's murder trial. The house where the children grew up and where prosecutors believe Maya was murdered will be sold and proceeds will be divided by a court-appointed conservator. As for Larry, he has been held in administrative segregation away from the general population jail, which this is common for high-profile inmates. Inmates have referred to this as, quote, the whole, and Larry doesn't think it's fair he lives here full-time because other inmates are sent here for disciplinary purposes. As for the trial, Larry paid his lawyer, Benita Martinez, more than $200,000. It was estimated the case would end up costing him half a million dollars, which he claimed he couldn't afford. Benita was later relieved from the case in October 2023. Even though he was paying top dollar for his lawyer, some have argued she was representing him poorly in the preliminary hearings. Here are some highlights of many of Benita's questions having sustained objections in court and even getting corrected by the judge. This is a $200,000 lawyer right here. Were you aware that Miss Melody was out drinking at least three times a week downtown bars? Objection, lack foundation, speculation, hearsay, relevance. Objection, relevance. Okay, so that that states facts, not in evidence. And speculative. Objection, lacks foundation, speculation, beyond scope. Sustained on all three grounds, covered every topic with excruciating detail that I don't believe is really necessary. Detective, did you have an opportunity? You need to address the court. Oh, I'm sorry. There's been an objection. The people have stated the grounds for their objection. And before I rule, you have an opportunity to respond. Yikes. Yeah, big yikes. I don't know. It's That's like the character attacks. A lot of those were the objections where she was just spouting all this stuff about Maya that wasn't relevant to the case. I mean, it's to the point that the judge is correcting you. She's either a terrible lawyer or she's intentionally playing dirty, maybe. But. Well, Larry has reportedly hired another private law firm to represent him, and because of these charges, his trial has been pushed back to August 26, 2024. This will be over three and a half years since Maya's disappearance, and he faces 25 years to life in prison for the charges against him. As of this recording, Maya's body has still not been found. So anyone with information about Maya's disappearance is asked to contact San Diego County Crime Stoppers at 888-580-8477 or the Chula Vista Police Department at 619-691-5139. There's also a website, helpfindmaya.com, with lots more information and information on how you can help in the search for Maya. But yeah, man, this is a really, really tough one. Yeah. I, mean, I do think there is enough. Yeah, I agree. And I'm a I'm big on physical forensic evidence. Uh but in this case, I mean it's all roads lead to Rome here. I don't think there's a doubt in my mind. No, there's not a doubt in my mind in this one. I just think there's too much circumstantial evidence that points to him. I mean, and he literally admitted, I'm about to snap hours before, right she, before. Gets, she disappears. And I think the 
fact that she's never seen leaving the house again. Larry backs his vehicle up into the garage. The fact the children are outside at 10 o'clock at night. The banging noises. The bangs, I mean, the bangs are, I don't know what else that could be. Yeah. And then uh, on top of that, I mean, if she's, if she's out there, knowing her character and knowing the people that would back her up being a family woman caring mother uh staying in a marriage for you know arguably far too long probably you know for the kids right uh it doesn't seem like it would be in her character to just get up and leave doesn't make sense no and again there's no evidence to suggest that that happened why would she get up and disappear just disappear on on her own accord to start a life with who jamie and leave her kids like that just makes no sense whatsoever i do think that there's probably more evidence against larry at this point than what we even know true this is only preliminary hearing evidence and stuff that has been made public right there's probably a lot more they did what 60 plus search warrants on this this house yeah my guess is that they have forensics because if she was shot multiple times inside their home, Larry could have tried to clean things up, but my guess is there's absolutely going to be some type of forensic evidence left over in some way, shape, or form that was collected, hopefully. I mean, I'm hoping that the Chula Vista Police Department does their job and, yeah. and they're able to actually gather this evidence. I assume that's going to happen. And so my guess is that there will be something that proves that she was critically wounded inside the home or they're able to prove that she died in the home in some way shape or form yeah and therefore kind of cementing the story of what what really happened and then the you know the the fact that there's no body you know is doesn't really matter at this point obviously it matters that for the family's sake and i hope larry eventually just comes clean and tells the family where she, where she, where he put her. Yeah. And on top of that, like we were saying for prosecutors to move forward with first degree murder uh to have the preliminary hearings and we're still moving forward with the trial. Obviously, innocent until proven guilty, right? But the fact that we're moving forward with this suggests that there's probably more evidence that's way more damning than what we've come across. 100% there's not a doubt in my mind that there's there's more there. I mean, I feel like they wouldn't be doing as many search warrants if there wasn't more stuff to get. Right. You know what I mean? So, I mean, for for Maya's family, I'm just truly sad for what they've had to go through and, and I'm equally sad for their children because that is going to be very, very hard to... I mean, they're so young too. Yeah. Part of me is like, I'm sure there's also more evidence through the conversations and interviews they had with their children that night. Because if they were home when this all went down, then they, I mean, they must have had some idea of what happened or saw something that they're just keeping close to the chest that's going to come out in the trial. The trial is going to be very interesting because I think a ton of stuff is going to come out that we we don't have today that's gonna hopefully make this a slam dunk case for the prosecution and larry's gonna you know his little story he's trying to spin right now it's just gonna look silly at that point yeah 
and we'll we'll keep you guys posted yeah definitely that. so by next august is when the trial is scheduled um and we'll yeah we'll keep everybody posted on this i'm assuming it's can really only go one way i could be wrong though um you never know of like the case casey anthony right sometimes yeah. things go haywire and the case falls through but i don't know feels like uh in my bones i feel this one to be leading towards conviction yeah what do you think danny think they have a slam dunk case here i mean i don't think it's a slam dunk case just because like we said no body no murder uh doesn't as far as we know we don't have any dna uh confirmation anything like that but it doesn't look good for him at all and it it based off everything we know it, it seems like he's the only yeah because obviously there's always the possibility of you know that he's trying to say well how do you know it was me maybe somebody else took her or somebody else killed her for some reason and again we don't know for sure yeah but i think we the authorities know yeah and it's like we as far as you and i go we have no evidence of no that ever happening in this case so I mean, you can spout all the theories that you want, but at the end of the day, without the actual evidence, it doesn't. Yeah, and mean people much. are, and he's like, oh, everybody's already made up their mind. And they're like, well, we're all making up our mind based on what the evidence, the evidence. is. Yeah. You know, the evidence that's there. Like, show us the evidence for your story and let, let's put them together and see, see what makes more sense. Yeah. And he just doesn't have that. He's just, he's desperate. He's just trying to make a plea and trying to make himself seem. Like he's not this bad guy. Yeah. In the, in the notes that he gave to CBS, he compared himself to the former president, uh, Donald Trump. He's like, look, if they can go after him, then I have no chance here. You know, and this oh, like, God. yeah, he went on this whole thing where I didn't even want to include it, but it, it kind of gets in his mind where if you're equating yourself with a former president, one. What do you, so what do you, do you say about? witch hunt he's like this is a witch hunt essentially he didn't use those words God. but I, as if you're following along with donald trump and comparing his situation to your situation i can only imagine what uh cognitive dissonance you're going through and things that you're telling yourself must be wild oh man i mean for the sake of their family i hope i hope he gets a maximum sentence they're not they're not doing uh death penalty executions anymore in the state of california but yeah uh, at the very least i think he deserves to be if he's found guilty and convicted of, of of these crimes i do feel he should spend the rest of his life in prison for sure especially for the safety of the children as well yeah and the safety of the public this guy's a dangerous individual yeah but yeah that's where we're going to leave today's episode let us know your thoughts and you know you think he did it I would love to hear anybody try to convince us that he didn't because I don't think you can, but interested to hear what you think will happen with this case. And uh, if you're from this area, I'm interested to hear, you know, kind of what people are saying locally and kind of what the, the vibe is as far as, you know, how everybody's feeling about this. It seems like everybody's pretty confident. Um, the district attorney seemed pretty confident that they're going to be able to, to get this done. So let us know. Again, check out the documentary 530 Days on the Jessica Easterly case. We'd really love to hear your thoughts on that as well. Again, that link is in the description or show notes. But we'll see you guys next time. And until then, lights out, everybody. <laughs>